So good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to our continued study of First and Second Thessalonians. This morning we will venture, as soon as I can find my clicker, this morning we will venture into lesson five, as we said, as today we will talk about, as Paul is talking to the church there at Thessalonica, that very young church, he is talking about preparing for the end. And when he talks about preparing for the end, what he's saying is preparing for the time Christ Jesus returns, because there's no no if, ands, or buts about it. Christ Jesus will return. So would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that we have that one day our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus will, will return to this earth. And Father, we're thankful for the reason that he, re, he will return, and that is to re, redeem and reclaim his own, Father, and take those who have been to, to the best of our abilities, Father, that he will allow those to come with him to be with you and he it, it, for an eternity in heaven. And Father, we thank you for that. So, Father, as we go through this lesson, Father, let we who in 2023 at Anchorage Church of Christ on the Bar Road, let us look at ourselves as as if we are the church at Thessalonica, because the, the instructions that Paul is given there to them, Father, those are instructions he's given to us as well. Father, thank you for loving us and blessing us. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So the theme of our study thus far then has been just that, preparing for the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this text was first presented uh, to the Thessalonians. It was, we're looking at the first Thessalonians as we look at this. So in this letter, we find that Paul commends the church there at Thessalonica for being the true church. And we talked about that last week, last Wednesday. Today, when we look at the authenticity of a church, we don't necessarily look at the things that Paul is identifying here. We tend to look at other things. For instance, we tend to look at size or influence. We tend to look at the quality of the building. We tend to look at the type of worship services. We tend to look at the ministry staff in terms of uh, the number of them and the qualifications that they have. How many of them have PhDs and things like that? But Paul in speaking to the Thessalonians, the church there at Thessalonica, he is in speaking to them and preparing them for the return of Christ Jesus. He describes the biblical nature of the true church. He says that the true New Testament church is established by the preaching of the true gospel by sincere and effective Christian preachers. He also says that the true church's conduct and purity is continually being refined and challenged by the Holy Spirit. He says the true church is growing in the knowledge of spiritual things. What we find is this. The apostles never condemned any church for not growing numerically. But often, and it's an interesting thing about this word I'm about to use, exhorted, because it means several things. He exhorted churches for not growing more pure in their conduct, as we see if we were reading First Corinthians and we was writing to the church there in Corinth. 
or he exhorted them in growing in the knowledge of spiritual things as we see when we read letters uh, Galatians, Colossians, Hebrews. True churches then, true churches are continually advancing in their knowledge of Christ Jesus and in his teachings, especially in the the serious preparation for, I say this again, his sure return. Because again, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, but that is a certainty because God has promised it. So in our lesson today, in our lesson today, we will review Paul's teaching about the end of times and how we today should be preparing for them. But there's a problem. There's a problem. So if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we're going to see the problem that, was, that persisted at this time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible reads, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So it seems that the brethren there, and this has been reported to Paul by Timothy, it seems that at the brethren there in Thessalonica, they're worried about what would happen to those Christians who have died before Christ Jesus returned. Remember, Paul came there and, teached and, and, and taught, and he was telling them about the return of Christ Jesus, and their mindset for some of them was thinking like, this is going to happen before we die. So now they realize people have died. And what's going to happen to them? You see, they expected Jesus again to return during their lifetime. And again, when some of them died, they were confused and they were worried about what would happen to them. Now, remember this church at Thessalonica here. It was a first generation. They were first generation Christians, right? They were first generation Christians and they had very little teaching from Paul on the matter, uh, on this particular matter because remember he was only there roughly about 30 days before he was forced to leave. So they didn't get a lot of teaching. So Paul, in this text that we just read, he uses certain words that we need to take note of. When you hear the word uninformed, what comes to mind? Uninformed. He said, I do not want you to be uninformed. How about this? He was saying, I didn't, he did not want them to be without knowledge of the fact. He was saying he did not want them to be ignorant of the fact. What about asleep? Asleep. Okay. What he was saying there is that's a term that is often used to represent death for Christians. It was used to signify peaceful rest of a temporary nature, which for Christians, that is exactly what death was to be a temporary thing, not a permanent thing. Paul didn't want them to react to death. Well, he didn't want them to react to the death of a Christian in the same way that non-Christians reacted to death. Now, there there are three main ways that the pagans reacted to death. And, And some of that is still prevalent today. One of the ways was they ignore it. Now, when you say, I'm ignoring death, what what does that sound like you're doing? 
I'm ignoring death. How about this? Pretend that it won't really happen. Put it off. Refuse to discuss it or really deal with the eventuality of death. And the majority of people do this because there are a lot of people right now that will not sit down and talk about life insurance because they're trying to ignore it. Well, if I don't talk, if I don't buy life insurance, maybe I won't die and we won't have to use it. What about this one? Deny. Deny death. Okay. They want to call it something else. Whole religions are built around the idea that death isn't death, but really a transformation of sorts. The idea is that they really don't die. They live on through their children. They are absorbed, if you will, into a greater consciousness. They are reincarnated, reincarnated into something else. You know, uh, in my first life, I was a dog. In the next life, I was a pig. Oh, then I became a person. But after that, I'm going to be a goat, that type stuff. And then there's the last one, fear. Fear. This is the reaction Paul is talking about here. The people of this generation knew death, and their only response to this death was fear and grief because they felt that there was no hope after the grave. And I remember my uncle used to say that a lot. He was, <laughs> he was one of those teenagers that knew it all. And when you're dead, you're done. He used to say that a lot. But Paul wanted them to be informed concerning death and what eventually would happen to those who died in Christ. And that's, that's very important to us as well because one day we are going to die and the question is, are we going to live our life such that we die in Christ or live our life such that we die outside of Christ? And God has given us the consequences of both or the results of both, if you will. But in this particular section of this letter right here, Paul is dealing with Christians dying in Christ, not non-Christians dying in Christ. So as Christians then, we shouldn't ignore, deny, or fear death. We should open our eyes and see what is exactly going to happen to all of us when we die and when the end finally comes. Gentiles, the Gentiles have no hope. But we find that Christians do have hope. We turn our attention to verse 14. And the Bible reads, uh, 1 Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible reads, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We as Christians, all Christians, all Christians have hope for life after death. Why? Because they have a historical presence which they can base their faith on. What is the Christian's historical evidence? That Jesus rose from the grave. If we can't wrap our minds around that, if we can't understand, accept, and believe that, then we're no different from the Gentiles in that we have no hope. 
We have to be able to wrap our minds around that. The basic promise that Jesus makes to his disciples is this, is that if they believe, if they trust in him, if we believe, if we trust in him, what happened to him after death will happen to us after death as well. A resurrection to a new life without death. Why? Turn to Acts chapter 2 at verse 24. Acts chapter 2 at verse 24. And the question was, why? Because Jesus died without sin, death could not hold him. At Acts chapter 2 at verse 24, the Bible reads, God raised him up, loosed in the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We can go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When we become Christians, when we become Christians, we also die without sin. Why? Because we have been forgiven. And so death cannot hold us either. For this reason, Sin cannot hold us or turn us over to eternal condemnation. Think about it for a moment like this. Jesus was without sin because he didn't commit any sin. We are without sin not because we don't commit any sins. We are without sin because we have been forgiven of those sins. And because of this, we have the hope that God promises us through our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. So what is Paul doing? Paul, in the first century, is reassuring those here at Anchorage Church of Christ on the Bar Road on December 17, 2023. Paul is reassuring us, just like he did those at Thessalonica, that as sure as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will resurrect all of those who have died faithfully serving the Lord and that is something to be joyful about there is no need to worry about or rather there's no need to worry that they will be left behind there's no need to worry that we will be left behind because all who believe in Jesus according to God's word will be raised by Jesus when he returns now in the process of all of this when we look at chapter 4 verses 15 uh, through um through chapter 5 verse 3 what Paul does is give details now it's an interesting thing about the details that he's given at this particular time and the details that he's not given at this particular time it's kind of like this right here when we when we are studying with someone and and we are contemplated becoming a Christian there are some details we need to know right then and there are some details we can learn later. And, 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 I, and I can't say this enough to people. When, you, when you're talking to someone that's outside of Christ Jesus, the details that they need to know is, first of all, I'm outside of Christ Jesus. Why? Because of my sin. The second thing I need to know is, how do I fix this? And that's Christ Jesus, and he can take care of it. I can get into that other stuff later. I can get into that other stuff later. But... That is the basic foundation right there. If we can get past that, we can move into those other things. But sometimes we want to, let's get a Ph.D. in being lost, and then we become Christians. We don't have time. We can't live that long, folks. We can't live that long, and life is not promised like that. So Paul, 
in these verses, he gives details on what a Christian would experience at the end of the world, but there is something else that's happening here. There are details that he is not given at this time again. So let's talk about what he's not giving him. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32. Now, what he's not going to tell him about right now is resurrection of sinners. So in Matthew 25, verse 31 and 32, the Bible reads, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Acts chapter 24 at verse 15. He's, the Bible says, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept that there would be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What else did he not tell them? If you go over to John chapter 5 verse 28, John chapter 5 and verse 28, verses 28 and 29, he did not tell them about the judgment of the wicked. There was no need for them to know that at this time. So what does that say? Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the, womb, in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Go to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 at verse 10. We have verses 10 through 12, I should say. He is not telling them about what happens to the heavens and the earth at that time. But the Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Also go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1 at verse 9. We find, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 at verse 9, we find that he did not tell them about hell and the punishment of sinners. Verse 9 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And finally go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24. We find that he did not tell them about the kingdom being given up to the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24, the Bible reads, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. We can go back now to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be around verse 15 in a moment. So now with all of this said, this doesn't mean that 
these things are not happening at the same time. Remember, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52 about things happening in the twinkling of an eye. But what Paul is doing is here is this. He's focusing his attention on what will happen to Christians at the end of the world when Christ Jesus returned. And, and, and that's a very important subject at the time. Sometimes we're so busy worrying about what's going to happen to them, we forget to think about what's going to happen to me as a Christian. We say, what's going to happen to the lost? Let's first concentrate on what's going to happen to the saved because the saved have things we need to be doing. The lost are already doing what they're going to do, and that is they're not doing what God is asking them to do. So we need to be concentrating on what it is we need to do. And if we're concerned about the lost, what we need to be doing is going out there trying to bring them to Christ instead of having a, a debate or a discussion discussion about, about what's going to happen to them. How about going out there and getting them and talking to them and, and trying to bring them to Christ? Give them the opportunity. Whether they come or not is their choice, but we can give them the opportunity. So Paul confirms that the details he's about to teach to them have been taught to him directly by the Lord himself concerning his return. And this one, when we turn our attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, there's some really good information that's contained in those three verses. And we're going to break it down for you just to show you what's contained there. But let's just go ahead and read it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. The Bible reads, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that term again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Check that out. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, again, who are in Christ, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And verse 18, this is something that we need to do to each other every day. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see James having a pity party about death? Encourage James about that. James, what are you whining about, bro? Look what you got ahead of you. And you worried about dying? Some Christians, what we're going to find when we look at this text right here is this right here. This is breaking it down. This is how Paul was breaking it down to Thessalonica. This is how Paul was breaking it down to Anchorage on the Bar Road. He's saying this right here. Some Christians will be alive and on earth when Jesus returns. We see that in verse 15, the first part of verse 15. Then he tells them, these Christians will not go to heaven before the ones who are dead, before the ones who are dead or resurrected. He didn't say you're not going. He just said you're not going to be the first ones there. You're not going to jump ahead of nobody. You're going to wait. Be patient. That's, that's in verse 15. Then he tells them that the, the Lord will descend from heaven. Verse 16, the first part. 
Then he tells them there will be signs of his appearance. Verse 16, part B. What's going to be the sign? There's going to be a shout of command from God. Just going to hear the voice of an archangel. Just going to hear the trumpet of God. What does all of these things sound like? I have no idea. These could all be symbolic. I don't know. But we do know this right here from what we're being told. And that is this right there. When these things take place, there will be no doubt in our ever-loving minds. Or like I say, because I was in the military, there will be no doubt in my military mind that Christ Jesus is on his way. No doubt whatsoever. And there is no reason to miss out on it. Another thing, he's telling them that the dead in Christ will be resurrected first. Verse 16, see? Now again, this doesn't mean what it doesn't mean is like some people think, okay, we're gonna, he's going to go get those who are dead in Christ first, and then he's going to get those who are alive in Christ, and he's going to get them. Then he's going to go, okay, all you sinners who are dead, come on over here. You're coming in too. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that at some later date, sinners will be resurrected to join God in heaven. Paul at this point is dealing only with Christians who are alive and those who are are dead when Christ Jesus come. And his point is this. His point is that before the alive Christians go to be with Christ Jesus, the dead Christians, those who have died in Christ, will first be resurrected. In a situation where many things are happening simultaneously, Paul is concentrating on one specific thing. One very specific and very important things to all of us who are sitting in here and would call ourselves Christian by virtue of what we've done. We've been united with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism. Every day we're living faithful and obedient lives. Yeah, we're messing up every day. Yes, we are repenting every day. And, and I would venture to say that anyone that can sit in this room and say, on a given day, you don't mess up. Hey, you got something on me because I mess up every day. But the point is this right here. He, Christians, he's concentrated on the specific thing, and that is this, Christians and their experience at the end of the world. And that's going to be a joyous event, folks. That's going to be a joyous event. I don't think any, any of us, whether alive or dead, would be begrudging, if we're alive, would be begrudging those who've died in Christ Jesus being resurrected first and then us coming along with. I don't think any of us would begrudge them that. All we probably be saying is hallelujah, hallelujah. Glad to see you there with me. And they will be saying the same thing. I'm glad to see you there with me. Number six, the living and resurrected Christians will ascend into the clouds to be with Jesus. We see this at 17, at the first part of 17. So in the same way that Jesus ascended in a cloud to return to heaven, the living and resurrected Christians will ascend to be with Jesus in the sky. Number seven, this condition of being together with Jesus in the heavens, not on earth, no rain here on earth, but this condition of being together with Jesus in heaven will be the situation that will remain forever. We see this in 17b. I want to take you back to verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This knowledge concerning the end of time 
and death gives us as Christians, if it doesn't, it should, gives us as Christians great confidence and great comfort to face the end of life here on earth. Paul, again, encourages them to use this teaching to encourage one another. He's encouraging us to use this teaching to encourage one another. Now, there's one more thing here that Paul was doing. He's reminding them that no one knows when Jesus will return, but he's also reminding them of this right here. He will come. He will come. And you know, when doesn't matter because we have the hope that he will. That's the only thing that matters. So let's go to chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. The Bible reads, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Whenever this day come, be it today or some future date, there will be some people who are teaching peace and safety. Just like the false prophets in the Old Testament who testified about the security of Jerusalem when in reality it was on the verge of destruction. The destruction that would come at the end of the world for sinners will be sudden. Without warning, it will be complete. And none will escape. It's like the man said at the gym one day, none of us are going to get out of this alive. The Thessalonians were young Christians with a specific question about a complicated teaching. And I hope if we've been paying attention to this lesson thus far, if there was some complication there, I hope it is less complicated now. Because, you see, Paul gives them a focus. He gives us a focus. He gives us a specific response without going into great detail. He didn't take the time to major in the minor. He took the time to major in the major because this is what you need to know right now. So in summary, Paul is adding to the knowledge of the Thessalonian church. And I would venture to say Anchorage Church of Christ as well. Concerning the return of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus and the situation regarding those Christians who will already be dead when he comes. And I would venture to say the number is quite large by now I'm certain. Paul reassures us that our hope in Christ Jesus is based on on the resurrection of Christ Jesus and it will be fulfilled in our own resurrection when he comes. He gives the details concerning Christ Jesus' return. And in doing this, he focuses on what would happen to Christians specifically on the last day. What does he say? When Christ Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will be resurrected first. What does he say? 
when Christ Jesus returned, both the living and resurrected Christians will ascend together to be with Jesus forever in heaven. And if we're with Jesus, then we are with God. What he is saying is this to us today. No one knows when this will happen. But there's a a caveat here, if you will, or a something that's, that you don't see, but you have to look really close between the lines. He's saying that no one knows when this will happen. And he's also saying, why do you need to know anyway? What you need to know is what you need to do to be prepared. And he's saying it will happen, and it will happen suddenly. So then, I want to thank you all for joining me. this. Before I thank you all for joining me this morning, are there any questions or comments? Okay, so then, so I want to thank you all for joining me this morning, whether here in person or online. Um, I look forward to seeing you this Wednesday when we venture into Lesson 6. We will be looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through verse 28. And what we're going to talk about at this particular lesson is eight ways to prepare for the second coming of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So again, thank you all for being here today, and uh, let's go ahead and do a little fellowship as we prepare for the start of the 10 o'clock service. Thank you.